This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Odds and Audible's podcast, your Friday edition of the show. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jaron Mack. All on the podcast today, and it's kind of a, a, a mixture of things. We're going to look ahead a little bit to the spring game next Saturday. We're about a week out, and we're also going to dive into just some, some quick conversation of um, a couple of players we spoke with this week. Uh, Johnny Cornelius, a transfer offensive lineman, one of the top transfer portal players along the offensive line. We also spoke with, spoke with Jalil Florence a sophomore corner who came to Oregon with a lot of expectations got on the field uh, in 2022 and now feels like a bigger role. Let's, let's start there because Jamal Hills moved from nickel to, or star to um, linebacker. Uh, There's been some rotations in and out of the secondary. Um, Cornerback feels like maybe the, position we have an idea that you know that's solid the you know the group of guys is solid there like we know kind of like who's in the mix maybe who's not starting but the names are are kind of there everywhere else kind of seems like it's in flux at least from my perspective Jalil Florence is one of those dudes Eric you spoke with him um really talented recruit four-star guy I think he was a top 100 top 150 type player um played in quite a bit of games for Oregon this past season and at was that corner and now it feels like he's in that mix where he's moving around a little bit. Yeah, I think that's been one of the big stories of this spring and it seems like it's every spring. So it's maybe not a big story, but just something we ex- come to expect, which is they're going to be cross training guys and giving players an opportunity to play a couple different spots. And that's, that's certainly what uh, Jaleel's spring has been like so far. Um, you know, we've seen him out there with at corner. So obviously he's playing there, but we've, I also see he's playing a lot of nickel. Um, and I, I guess the first thing I think of is that typically this is about when you would start cross-training. I know last year he was here, but Dan said that they didn't want to, I think in year one, really throw too much at guys. So let's let's establish kind of a, a foundation at one spot. And so that spot was corner, which was also the position he played primarily in high school. I know he played, he said a little bit in the slot, but um, but now he's kind of getting an opportunity to play a couple different places. And, and he seemed really excited by it because the general kind of idea he seems to communicate. I don't know if this is the coach's staff or if this is just the cornerback room, but they want to try to get as many corners in the field at once, he said. And so, you know, Triquez Bridges, a guy who was a corner last year, is getting some run at safety. Um, you know, Jaleel, a guy who was, again, a corner entirely last year, is on the field at nickel. And you could get into some spots here where players you have at least histories at Oregon playing corner um, that there could be, you know, three or four or five of those guys in the field at once at times, maybe not five, but, you know, several of those guys could be out there together. And I think that's kind of the idea, especially when you think back to some of the issues they had a year ago with coverage is let's get our best coverage guys in the field at once. And uh, they certainly have guys who are highly rated corners. I mean, I think that's the part you have to remember here is 
uh, you know, you, if you want to compare just from a recruiting ranking, and we've, you can talk at length about why that maybe isn't the right choice, but the guys at corner on Oregon's roster, are, or most of them are very, very highly rated recruits. And you look at the guys at safety, some of them are four stars and some of them are pretty highly rated, but for the most part, not quite the same caliber. So if you can get creative and find ways to get, uh, to Jaleel's point, three to four of those guys out there together, makes some sense. And, and of course, during the spring is the perfect time to be doing some of that uh, experimenting. So not surprised necessarily, but I guess intrigued and, and we'll get to some things we're looking forward to in the spring game later on the show. That might be something I'm, I'm curious to see is just how many of these guys can you get out there in coverage and, and how does that impact things on, on passing downs where, again, a year ago, that, that wasn't always a real positive for Oregon. Definitely intriguing. I think it's the most intriguing for the part that you just ended with, Eric. Like clearly, Oregon's defense was pretty putrid at points against the pass, and they needed to find some sort of, of an answer. And whether that be moving Triquist Bridges to back to safety or to cornerback or putting Dante Manning at star, Jaleel Florence at star, um, I, I appreciate that they're mixing and matching and trying to find what's best. Um, and I also think that they're mixing and matching because they're they're significantly more talented individuals in the cornerback room than there are in the safety room, like you were mentioning, Eric. And that's not to say that there isn't talent in the safety room because there is. I mean, when you have guys like Brian Addison and Steve Stevens projected to probably come off the pine as guys who have started a lot of games in their careers, uh, more Stevens than Addison, like that's a good thing. That's a sign of good depth. Uh, but I think that this is an interesting development. I'm not sure what it really means because, again, last season we saw Bridges and Brian Addison be the starting safeties, or not starting safeties, but the first group defensive safeties for an entire spring portion, and then neither of them really were, were – Bridges definitely was not a starting safety, and Brian Addison rarely started last season. So I think that they're just – still going through like a trial and error process more or less and just seeing if this positional versatility if these guys have it and own it and are good at it um i'm not sure if i if if, if who are we talking about julio florence is going to stick at star or nickel um we'll see about that one i'm not 100 percent sure about that i still think taishin johnson is going to be the guy who comes out as the everyday defense defensive star safety but at least they're trying. They're trying to do something because they need they needed a lot of help last year, and they're going to look to get it now this year. I wonder how much of this is a move to just get better coverage out on yeah. the field. That's yeah, that's the whole move. Yeah, yeah. no, like, I think that I think you nailed it. And a reason for that is James Crepe of the Oregonian pointed this out that a lot of the teams in the conference now have gone away that used to run like double tight end or fullback or. You know, like they don't do that nearly as often anymore. Stanford's going spread. Um, Washington isn't double tight end like they used to, at least in the, in the old division world. Um, Utah still does. Uh, Cal probably not next. You know, next season. Um, Oregon State is kind of like a hybrid, so you're you're seeing more teams go to these offenses that are going to have more, you know, receivers out there. And this just feels like a reaction to that. Let's, let's try and see if we can get another corner out there. And to Jared's point, like I, I would agree. I, I still think Taishim Johnson's going to be the guy that, that probably mans that nickel position, but that's what Springs for. Like let's try Jalil Florence at nickel and see if it works. And if he's better than, 
Tysheem Johnson? Because you certainly wouldn't try that last year during the season. And I think, I mean, another thing we were just talking about on our previous show that speaks to, I think, the the vision that this staff has as offseason in terms of getting better in coverage is this is the Jamal Hill part. I mean, I think there are so many of these. You just look at the positional moves and, and kind of where they've worked this offseason. Like it's pretty clear that they went and said, we weren't, we didn't have the right personnel in the field to cover teams last year. And we're going to try to get as many guys. Like, it's possible. Like, if you think, if you want to think about Bossa and Hill as being converted defensive backs, which they are, I know obviously Bossa that, that predates landing, but you could look at this defense and there could be times where, like, literally, like seven or eight, seven of the guys are former defensive backs. Like, that speaks to kind of what the, I think the aim here is, Matt. And your, and your, your first point that you kind of started with there, I think is the perfect one and maybe something. Um, that that we haven't maybe established enough on this podcast, or maybe which is just kind of starting to become into to clear view with some of these position moves. But yeah, I think it's very clear that's a, a focal point this offseason is trying to get as many of your best coverage guys in the field at once. Because clearly a year ago, I mean, I don't think we need to say it too many times. Like people understand the issues they had, and you put out seven to eight guys who at least have history playing defensive back, and and obviously that means more experience and coverage. Like I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, and then to your Taishin. Uh, Johnson thing, yeah, I we think I think he still is is the nickel. I think he's the guy there. But having Florence be somebody who you could uh, maybe incorporate into a couple of other packages, or or even kind of fill in at times, or maybe certain matchups, he's better against certain personnel groups. Like I just think having him have experience at other places makes a ton of sense. And and ultimately, that's what the goal is in spring is is, is getting it prepared to the point where you don't have to throw a guy into practice a week before playing in a game at a spot he's never repped before and you're getting that de- uh, work done now. So at least come fall, whether or not Julio stays there, he'll have had some experience working in the nickel. Uh, let's move to Johnny Cornelius. Um, first time to speak with him. Um, we First time to, to see him post-practice too. Uh, I was just really surprised at, like, he doesn't look like your typical offensive lineman. Um, he's not really overweight, <laughs> um, very well-built dude though. I was talking with Nate Kruger, uh, Oregon's SID while he was speaking and he said he might become a staple interview guy. And so far in practice, he's a freak athlete. And, you know, you, you see that with his body type, um, he's not what you would expect from an offensive lineman. He looks more like a tight end defensive end type body type um really athletic dude and we got some insight onto um and jared i think can speak to this so just why he chose oregon because there really wasn't any articles done about it when he committed and he was a one of if not the most high profile tackle uh in the entire portal this offseason yeah no cornelius was a guy who had over 20 I think offers after he entered the transfer portal from Rhode Island. Um, and he picked Oregon. You know, he went to official visits to Ohio state and Tennessee picked Oregon. Uh, I think we, you know, we're all, we were all happy about that. And, but now we, this is the first time to talk to him. Not only does he not look like a prototypical offensive tackle in terms of physique, which I don't think is a bad thing. He's just a long and lanky lad. Uh, he doesn't sound like anybody else in this roster, which I thought was the the best part about it. It's a kid from Harlem. He went to Rhode Island uh, originally, like a Howard commit. I think we went over that um, together. But um, he just said that it was a gut feeling at first on you know taking the trip out to Oregon and really coming into contact with them. 
uh, Johnny also said that you know, on the phone, Dan, Dan Lanning just made, made Cornelius believe in him, basically. Just preached to the choir, got him in the growth mindset, and Cornelius believed in, in what Dan was doing. He talked to Bo a lot um, when he was here on the visit. He stayed with Marcus Harper, and they you know, talked a lot about their determination and goals that they want to see in the next season. Um, and from there, it just seemed like he was that, that Oregon was the place. Um, you know, eventually he commits to Oregon and, and is now going through his first spring practice, or excuse me, spring, first spring camp as a duck. And he's mentioned he, what he mentioned. The what was the most surprising was, you know, he admitted that the competition level was significantly different than what it was at Rhode Island. And, you know, from a thousand foot perspective, like, yeah, of course it's Rhode Island versus university of Oregon. Um, but it's interesting when a player sometimes will admit the obvious and sometimes will admit like, yeah, this is different than what I expected. But um, that type of competition level only forced, he said that uh, it forced him to raise his own and that he loves it. This is the type of stuff that he wants to go through. These are the type of players that he wants to go against. Uh, he listed, Mateo Uyunglele, Jordan Birch, and Brandon Dorless as guys who have given him some trouble in practice. Maybe not trouble, but have given him some comp competitive reps at practice. Um, and each time he goes through against one of those guys, that, that adds uh, to his game, helps him improve. Um, he mentioned that he and Jordan are, are good friends off the field as well. Um, but once they get back onto the field, you know, it turns into a competitive mode. It's that iron sharpens iron mentality. So um, it was really, really nice to talk to a Johnny, uh, well-spoken kid, um, somebody who could probably, who I'm projecting as a starter at, at right tackle this season, who I think is going to be a household name by the end of the season with his length and versatility and his athleticism on the offensive line. Can I can I pose a question just about the offensive tackle thing? Mm -hmm. yeah. Is is because I think Oregon has two guys in Connerly and Cornelius who, to Matt's point, don't look like the offensive tackles that Oregon has had come through there. I think that speaks yeah. more to just how, like how special these specific type of athletes are and how rare they are because Oregon for the last – like Sewell is a, was a little bit different, I just think, in terms of the girth and overall size compared to these guys. But Oregon just hasn't had a lot of guys with this sort of athleticism that can carry it that way. I think that's what mm -hmm. stands out with those two guys is how they carry their weight um, of course, official weights haven't been listed, but I think we expect both of those guys to be around or at 300, a little bit over maybe. Um, I know, I think it was Harper who was saying he thought Connerly was over 300, um, which would which would be a nice little weight gain for him. But I just was, just a thought we've, I had, because I, I know this offseason we spoke so many times about how this last year's team just didn't have tackle bodies that many. I think Connerly was kind of the, the, the unique guy there. I think what we're seeing with, Cornelius and I even maybe throw George Silva into that is just like these would, kind of yeah. bigger, longer, more angular, more athletic guys. Like I just think Oregon has some more some some bodies that they just haven't had in a while. We'll see how that plays out in the field. But that not that it's that unique of an insight, but just kind of Matt's point about how these don't look like tackles. I think it's maybe less to do with I think it's more like what kind of tackles that you've seen come through Oregon recently. These guys are not at all similar to them, but in terms of like being freak athletes, these are some pretty unique guys. It's going to be unfair to do this, but physique-wise, they look very similar to Panay, in my opinion. Like, Panay just did not look like an offensive lineman. Um, he was naturally big, naturally strong, and just didn't have to throw on a bunch of weight to play at that level. Um, 
and that's what Connerly and that's what I felt like Ajani looked like. They're just naturally really long, really big, really athletic dudes, and they don't have to load up to get to the playing weight that you sometimes see offensive linemen. Like I I remember seeing Brady Ayello a couple mm. years ago after he left uh after he, he shut down his pursuit of the NFL and trying to get on, on a roster. I saw him at a dog park and he lost so much weight I didn't recognize him. And that was what was required of him, though, to play at Oregon and to play at the, the pro levels. He had to have so much extra weight on to, to be able to withstand you know, the position. And Sewell didn't have to do that. And it doesn't look like, at least on paper, you know, Cornelius and, and Connerly do either. And that's, to your point, Eric, like you don't see that very often at Oregon and the athleticism – that, that those guys have could could you know lead to some really interesting really fun really good years potentially for this year and and next what they what they look like is nfl tackles that's what yeah. they look like you know yeah. you look at guys exactly. across the league like laramie tunsil or trent brown those just gargantuan human beings who don't look it like obviously they're going to be taller than everybody else. Like Trent Brown, I think is six eight or six foot nine, so he's going to be just such a massive human being. But they don't look significantly bigger than anybody else on the offensive line because they're not, and they're just huge, massive guys who can move around and have tremendous versatility on the offensive line, and then have tremendous athleticism and quickness and, and agility as well. Uh, and that's what you—that's what you've seen at least in the glim, the glimmers and the glimpses of at practice of Josh Connerly, of Silva, and of Johnny Cornelius. Uh, I am extremely excited to watch those guys in the spring game, which is something that we might may or may not get to later on in this podcast about some names that we'd like to drop. But those are three dudes that I'm extremely, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all of them because like you guys have both mentioned, there haven't been a lot of bodies like that. And I, I and I, I still think that they're all a little bit different than Panay because I, I think Panay was at least a little bit more put together. He was heavier, he was heavier of a guy, but not because, um, not because he was like just bigger or, or not because he was like fat or anything like that. He's just a bigger dude, and he was yeah. just this unbelievable blend of athleticism and big person. That I don't think that that. Silva and Corn and Cornelius and Connerly are, but they're a different type of blend, and it's not a bad thing. But it's NFL tackle bodies is what they look like. Panay was a little different, but that's not a bad thing for him either. But these are NFL tackle bodies. The the, the distinction I make between Sewell and these guys is I think remember Sewell came in at three thirty three forty three sixty. Was it that much? I know he had, he came in had yeah. to lose weight. Connerly mm-hmm. didn't come at a high weight. Looking at Cornelius as a prep, it's like these guys. Basically came in at 280, 290. You had to gain weight to get to 300. Panay started at whatever it was. If it was really 360, that's that's wild, and had to come down. Yeah, I just looked at the dep- I looked at the roster while we were talking, and I'll do it again. But I'm very confident it was 360. So, but which but, is but, wild. You, but yeah, so but like that's that's the distinction I'd make is I think Sewell came in so well put together, had to cut down, and then you saw those athletic intangibles. Other guys maybe had to add some weight, which is something we've, we, we know Connerly's at least has, has done since he's gotten here. Let's transition. I'm going to call an audible real quick um, before we go to break. Cause this doesn't take very long. Did you guys see the new rule change in college football today? Just happened. 
Uh, Dennis sure did. posted on a posted on the odds and or excuse me, the duck territory message board about it. Yeah. Uh, first down cl clock does no longer stop uh, on first down. Mm -hmm. Going to the NFL move. Huh. Division one, division two will have division three for some reason said, no, thanks. We're out. We do not want that. Yeah. I, it's going to be one of those things that, we probably forget about, and then it will be something that becomes very obvious early on. They're like, oh yeah, that they, they did change that. That's right, that happened back in April, but I'd forgotten. But which is uh, oftentimes some of these rules. I feel like that's what happens, where it's like, oh, that seems interesting, and then you get to the flaw, and you go, oh, that is pretty interesting. That did happen. I mean, the only I, time it really came into play was uh, at Washington State, and maybe Utah or Washington when they were trying to make the comeback. There, one of those two. Can't remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Washington probably. I I don't like it. I'll just go out uh, on a limb and say that I don't like it at all. I think it was a clear separator between college football and the NFL. Um, yeah. Both leagues have their own individual quirks, I would say, and this was one of college footballs. And to eliminate it, I'm not really sure the reason why. Uh, if you'd like to cut down on game time, then you're gonna just need gonna you're gonna have to take away money from all of the streaming services because you need to eliminate how many commercials are going on during a game if you don't want to have that long air time. If you want to cut down on game time, there are plenty of other ways. Believe me, maybe I don't know. Get replay systems better. Maybe put a put a limit on how quickly you can challenge a a, a play or a call or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't know, maybe don't do sideline interviews in the middle of a game. Maybe speed up the process there. Um, if you're looking to do that, it's much this is a much different approach than what than actually it's a the very similar approach to what baseball did and tried to change like the fundamental rules of the game. This will not work and if you're trying to fix up the or speed up the game yeah. because it's already been going on in, in the NFL, like I said, for decades and decades and decades. And guess what? Those games are pretty long so the stopping of the clock on a first down isn't going to make a difference if that's what they're going after and i don't see what else they would be doing other than just prepping guys for the nfl immediately yeah i'm gonna agree with jared real quick i i don't like it i hate it i think it's dumb creating a problem when there wasn't one mm -hmm. works for me yeah i hate it <laughs> well, well i'll hate it together good <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll dive into some spring football, spring game talk. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Ocenados podcast. Uh, we're going to talk players for the spring game. Um, and I want to just make it clear. These aren't guys, at least my picks, aren't guys I think are going to like show out and, and have massive performances. Some of them I think that would, would be true, but... These are just guys that I think, A, I want to see them step up and have a big moment, or B, they kind of need to um, you know, build some positive momentum or they could maybe see them go off to the portal if, if they don't really feel like they're making much of an impact on the game um, because lack of playing time could be coming in their way. Um, I'll go first. I'll list, I'll list off. Um, I have a, a tandem here. And it's just because I want this debate to continue to rage on, and I think it will rage on, and it will go through the entire season. Uh, I'm selecting Chris Hudson and Tez Johnson. I want to see both guys have big games in the spring game, have big impacts, because uh, we've debated it at length on this show. Uh, it's it's very clear that they want more out of that position in the slot spot. They brought in Tez. They may have Gary Bryant Jr. committed here in a couple weeks to also play that position. Um, but I, I want this competition to bleed over into the season and we see a back and forth uh, of who starts, who doesn't start, who plays more, who, you know, just these two guys both playing good. So I, I hope we see Chris Hudson and Ted Johnson both have big games in the spring game. So we have a whole debate all summer long of this guy's better or no, this guy's better. Or they or or they are they are they play different positions the entire game and they're on the field together yeah. the entire game and we go hey these guys can work together which is Very I, true. I, I think i don't think that's going to be what they do from a base perspective but it is worth noting that when we watched that period of fastball that was the top group was those two guys that they're together with tez in the slot and chris out at the uh, z position so we'll see i don't know i think i, I i'm totally with you though matt like uh they didn't as they didn't add Tez Johnson by accident, and everything we've heard is he's had an awesome spring. We've also heard Chris Hudson's had a pretty darn good spring, so um, it should be a, it should be fun to kind of track those guys out there at receiver. Um, if we're going offense to start, I know you said we didn't have to do that, but I'm going to. Um, I, we just talked about the guys I'm most excited about on offense, probably, which is the offensive line and how that all shakes out, because I think we've seen so much across the board and. Um, you know, I'm sure there are other positions that we can address, and I won't name them because I don't want to steal Jared's possible thunder in, in future picks here, but or Matt's. But I, I just think you know we talked about a Johnny, we talked about George, we talked about Josh, but like those tackles in particular, I'm just really curious to see the way that they operate facing against we think a defense that has a little bit more steam, or hopefully a little bit more steam off the edge with Jordan Birch, with Mateo Younglele, who's, I know, a freshman, but it seems like he's getting a lot of positive press this spring, if you will, from, from teammates and coaches. I, I just really want to see how those guys kind of stack up and, and, and also kind of how they fit together. I know that was one of the things that we kind of talked about at the end of, of our Charlotte this week. Of, I'm, I'm hoping the format allows it so that we can see what it looks like when those are the two tackles in the field together. That would be something that would be very interesting for me to watch because it's been a long time since Oregon maybe ever that they've had these type of athletes at the two tackles if, if we're talking about Connerly and Cornelius. So I, I'm I'm juiced up and, and, and excited to just kind of see what those guys might look like together. And then, and then there's a bunch of stuff, um, you know, in some of the interior spots, you know, 
talked about the center position or before, but um, I'll, I'll kind of leave it there. So Jared has more uh, runway to pick from, I guess. I mean, you already picked my guys, so it's a shame. That's why I, you know, kind of alluded to it during our uh, tackle segment earlier because those were those were going to be my peoples. But I'm going to go, I guess, with some more uh, absolute offensive cast characters here that I think could could turn themselves into somebody who gets talked about during the offseason and Kyler Casper. Uh, again, this is a highly rated recruit that reclassified to the 2022 class. Didn't play too often last season. Um, certainly had moments during practice where you know he's like a solid six foot five, six foot six wide receiver who could play that X position, probably even play the Z position. But it's a guy who we haven't heard much about. But I think most of the the questions that we've oriented and the, the the responses that we've heard have been a lot about the slot position receiver, and rightfully so because that's where the competition is. But it's a guy who I think is extremely talented, who's long, who's versatile, who I think can make an impact for this team, given kind of the wide receiver depth concerns that I would say kind of are, are on this offense. Where if you go, you know, past your fourth or fifth wide receiver, there's, you know, there's some opportunity for somebody to get to step in and, and make a play at becoming a real good bench bench receiver. And I think Kyler Casper could be that guy. I'll be interested to see what quarterback he's throwing to. If if somebody wants to to drop a quarterback uh, name to watch for the spring game, I'll be interested to see who that is because it's probably going to be with the second team. Um, and I'll be interested to see just what defensive backs he goes against too, because yeah. that could be a limitation with you know with a guy with his size, but he's still young, so he's kind of a skinny lad. Um, it'll be interesting to see who he goes against and how he performs against said defensive back. Um, I don't. I, I really like Casper. I saw a couple things from him last last year during practice that I kind of jotted down in my memory. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's improved upon during the off season. I should note I didn't pick any offensive linemen, um, just because I think that's a hard one for a spring game because we might we don't know the format and we might see some mix and match combos like like we saw last year with DJ Johnson matching up against Bailey Jaramillo. Like mm-hmm. that would never happen in a game um i wanted to mention i i, I want to see ty thompson do good yeah um yeah sure i'd love to see it um i'm gonna switch to defense though and i'm gonna select three guys because they all basically kind of play the same position and i'm sure i'm gonna steal one of your guys's names uh birch mateo and tuioti um those three birch because i just we've heard a lot we, we've we've seen Dan say he's got all the you know the intangibles that they do a drill and it's that's what it should look like when he does it. Mateo, uh, we've we've seen Tosh praise him as well. Um, you just want to see it on the field. I just you know I just want to see what he looks like in a duck uniform. So I'm excited to see that. Want want to see him do well. And then Mateo and Tuioti, two prospects who could make impacts um, in certain roles uh, this coming season. Both guys signed to help improve the the pass rush. That we we know that that's a big weakness, um, and you know maybe they can make an impact, make an impact early too. A couple of things on offense. I just wanted to say before. I don't know if Jared might have lingering offensive thoughts, so he can obviously add those if he wants to. Um, Junior Angelau was wearing cleats for the first time on Thursday. I don't know if he's going to take part in the spring game or not, obviously, but that's just something to maybe 
maybe we're getting close to seeing the first glimpse of him in an Oregon uniform, which would be something I would at least just want to see. I would imagine they're going to be very careful with him. So maybe we don't see him, maybe we see him for a very short period of time. Uh, but that's just something I, I, I just wanted to toss out there as just a name and a kind of a development we haven't touched on offensively. Um, yeah, uh, Jared, did you have anything else on offense that you want, any other names you wanted to add there? We'll go before you want to. Center competition. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's going to be a real thing. Uh, I think that. No bad snaps. No bad snaps. Uh, I think that's going to be something that we all kind of look for. Uh, we'll jot down, see how many, if there are any, because uh, it seems like it's a full-fledged battle between Marcus Harper and Jackson Powers Johnson. And I think that those are two very capable offensive linemen, both are capable centers. I think we all went into the season expecting it to just be JPJ as the starting center, but I think Harper has turned some heads because I think, again, that if Junior Aguilar was healthy, he's going to be one of the starting guards with Stephen Jones in the other spot. And there's going to be two guys battling for center with for the last starting offensive line position. And it seems like it's a real battle. So that's another offensive thing I'm thinking about. Uh, I also want to see the new running backs with uh, Dante Dowdell and Jay Lamar. Those are two guys who Coach Lachlan, who talked uh, yesterday, had some, some nice things to say about them, more nice things to say about himself, but I digress. Um, those are some... <laughs> Those are some names just to just to watch. And then Treshawn Holden, you know, Alabama transfer wide receiver, just all the new guys, kind of kind of similar to Matt's point where it's like, I just want to see this guy in a duck uniform and see what he looks like out there. Treshawn yeah. Holden. Um, to the center thing, I, I just thought of this. Matt, this is maybe a question. We, we, we've been the ones following this longer. When was the last time Oregon actually had a center competition, like an actual center competition in spring? And I say that because it's almost always felt like it's been – a clear heir apparent for like, the, mm -hmm. and, and, and then that guy's been the guy for like three or four seasons. It's been a while, I think, since like we've had a real competition like this way, John, at that position. Yeah, Forsyth was just kind of like the natural progression in um, at center after Hanson. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think who was the center. Was it the 15 was, center was a transfer? It was pre Hanson. It was uh, Matt Haggerty, uh, I think. Yeah, right. Haggerty from Notre Dame. He was there for a and year. That, and that one was though that one was pretty definitive. Like they went and added him directly after Grasu graduated, and they they replaced him there. Um, I'm trying to think, like 2011 was Grasu. Yeah, Grasu was a redshirt freshman. That was probably it. 2011. Because Rasu hadn't really established with. himself yet. Who was he competing with? I just don't even remember who he was competing with at that point. So if that was the last center competition. It's been over a decade, and I, to the guys who followed this program closely, so just about anybody else, can't remember who Grasu was actually competing with. Uh, I'm looking at past depth charts. Hironis Grasu was listed as a starter, obviously, for the LSU game, and then Carrington Armstrong, and then Hamani oh. Stevens as a redshirt freshman. Okay. Carrington Armstrong, I kind of remember. I think he was a walk-on who was converted or was trying to play, maybe. I can't remember. But, okay. So, yeah, so maybe um, that's the last one, 12 years ago. It's been a long time since we've had something like this. been a long time. And that team had that team also had uh, Carson York. I think he had some experience playing center. Um, and they didn't – there really wasn't – looking at that group, there really wasn't anybody else that was, like, a definitive center player. Um yeah. yeah, so it's probably 2011 when Grasso showed up and got the job. But we should also note, like, 
it's been a while. Um, that was like one of my first couple of years covering the team, but he redshirted. So maybe he was like already kind of the de facto guy um, because the year before Jordan Holmes was a senior and was really good at that spot. And maybe they just kind of knew like, Hey, this is going to be who it is. I don't know. I can't remember, but 2011 at least. Just a thought I had there. Um, and I think Jared named a couple of other guys offensively that stood out to me. Um, we're comfortable moving over to some defense. I know Matt, Matt's already done that. Uh, I, I think for me, I've already said the name. I'll just say it again. We said on Wednesday, Jamal Hill is a guy I'm just really excited to see what he looks like. That interview he had on Tuesday uh, kind of a little bit more on the vision, just kind of hearing him talk about it and how he's feeling physically. And the fact that he's actually up to 227, not that I thought that was completely out of the realm of possibility, but that's a lot of weight to gain in not that amount of time. And that's 15 pounds in, what, three or four months? And to put it on the way he's done it, where it's like looks like almost all muscle, uh, that's impressive. So I'm just curious to see what it looks like, how he holds up at linebacker. Um, uh, you know, how, how does he play, you know, in the box, being forced to bring down Oregon's running backs? And Oregon has some running backs that are, you know, big-bodied guys that can run through you. So, I mean, Jared mentioned Dowdell. Obviously, we know about Jordan James. Bucky and Noah are, are compact physical runners. Like, how does Jamal Hill hold up against those some of those guys, you know, in the box? Um, I'm really curious to kind of see how that plays out. Um, so, yeah, and, and I guess there's other guys – in that room that are interesting, right? Bossup would love to see him take some strides. Obviously, people are familiar with uh, kind of where I stand with him, but I still see upside. Would love to see him be an improved player. And then the two transfer portal guys are are intriguing as well with with uh, Justin Jacobs and, and Connor Sewell. Just haven't seen enough of them. I'm kind of curious to see what they look like. So I, I think the inside linebackers as a whole are that's a spot where I'm I think maybe spotlighting the most for me defensively right now. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good pick. I, my my number one overall pick would have been Birch, but Matt has taken him and rightfully so as a number one pick. Um, so I'm going to go with guys in the back end, guys like Tyshim Johnson and Evan Williams, because uh, I think safety, albeit uh, you know we talked earlier in this podcast about the deplorable defensive performances against pass offenses last season. A lot of those came from the safety room wasn't so much the cornerbacks that was the problem on a lot of those, such as why Christian Gonzalez is going to be the top 10 draft pick next week on Thursday at 5 p.m., the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, this is why Triquez Bridges was a solid cornerback last season, although you know who knows what they're doing this spring. But that safety room last season gave up a lot of yards, and Oregon has kind of revitalized it. They've given it some new names, some new guys to go in there and try and play and keep down the passing attack. And those guys are Tyshin Johnson and uh, Evan Williams. And those are guys that I want to go watch against a passing attack like Oregon's, where they're going to have some guys who can go out there and take some deep shots, um, whose wide receivers are pretty darn good, at least in the top four or five, to see how Evan Williams tackles. Is he just like his brother? Is he going to be a good perimeter tackler? I, I, I imagine he will be, but um, we're only going to be able to see that during the spring game. So two guys that I'm looking forward to. Uh, other defensive guys, just the interior defensive line, I think is really stacked this this season. Um, maybe there's some some freshmen who get in there, Johnny Bowens and Michael Gardner. Um, but like Eric said, I'm I'm really interested to watch the, the inside linebacking room and just what the what the rotations are, who's mm. the first team, quote unquote, uh, what Jamal Hill looks like, what Connor Sowell can provide if he's more of a 
you know, Mac or a money linebacker because he looks pretty bigger this year than he did on tape at Arizona State last season. Uh, just just rotational values, things like that. But more or less, uh, I'm just just really interested to see what the safety room looks like and what those rotations are. There's like, I guess if you throw in Bridges, there's probably five guys at safety we could like legitimately be like, hey, this guy, I guess six if we throw Taishim in there maybe. Um, like We wouldn't be surprised if they had one of the two starting spots at, at safety. The combinations, to Jared's point, like, we could see some really interesting combinations that that play out during the spring game. I think that's maybe what I'm really excited for that group because I did have safeties too listed. Um, Do you guys have a favorite I, I, hypothetical combination of safeties? Is there one that like you go, ooh, that would be really interesting? Yeah, go for it. You'd star nickel, whatever you want to call it, Tashim, and then uh, boundary safety. I'd want Evan Williams and free safety. I'd like Brian Addison, please. I love I love I love Brian out there, especially if it's on a passing down because he covers so much space. And that was something that was such an issue yeah. at times of year. As long as as long as Triquis Bridges is only a cornerback. Because I would swap Brian Addison for Bridges if he's considered a safety, yes. which is something Jaleel Florence said, something that Triquis Bridges has said. So it's something to to maybe, maybe consider. I I don't know if I have a combo from the other from um with Addison's group, but I want to see Evan Williams start. I don't really care where. Um, I want to see him start. He was really productive at Fresno State, and he's got to be on the field in some capacity. So that yeah. that would be like my one guy that I have. To, I would want to see start. I I think that's gonna I think that's gonna happen, Matt. I think he's gonna start. All right. That's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Odds and Audible's podcast. Uh, until Monday, we'll have a breakdown maybe of the scrimmage notes that we get from it uh, from Dan Lanning, or maybe it's a mailbag. We haven't quite sit- decided yet. Maybe it's both. We should do a mailbag. It's, then, been, a really lo- it's been a long time. We haven't done a mailbag. We yeah. should do one Monday. We'll do that. All right. So we made a decision. Mailbag on Monday. Uh, we'll have a preview later on next week. Uh, for the spring game, which is about a week away now. Uh, weather is turning, so that's a good thing. Spring game looks like knock on some wood here that won't be played in rain. Um, that's always a positive. And until the next one, though, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.